This is a podcast about our lived experience, which unfortunately includes infant death and subsequent mental health struggles. Please take good care of yourself and only listen if this content feels safe for you right now. We'll still be here when you're ready. Hi, I'm Judith. And I'm Alina. We both lost babies to SIDS in winter 2021. In the throes of grief, I reached out to a stranger on the internet and our friendship was born. In the years since, we've been working hard to survive, rebuild, and navigate the continual challenges that have come our way, including divorce, job loss, dating while bereaved, moving multiple times, health scares, pregnancy and parenting a living child, starting new jobs, and so much more. We are tired. Happily Ever After is out of the question for us, but this podcast documents our journeys to happier ever after because we believe life after loss is worth living. So join us as we laugh, cry, cry until we laugh. <laughs> Welcome to As Long As I'm Living podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hi. Okay. Hi. All right. So today, Judith, is part two of our interview with Afina and Caroline. We have our last responders. That was two weeks ago. And today's episode is The Dead Teach the Living. Big episode, really. Big episode. You know, I got a piece of feedback on our last episode that I forgot to tell you, which is that my sister said she loved it, but she said we spoke too much that she didn't get to hear from them, and she wanted to hear more from them and less from us. So <laughs> this episode is for my sister. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, I'm editing it right now, and we we talk a lot in this one, too. I think it's because we were just so excited because it was so interesting, and it was just so good, and we just wanted so much information yeah i i feel both of us have felt like that the this interview was really healing like i think we learned we got a lot of questions answered that we didn't think we'd ever get answered and um it just feels good to know that that people on this side of it care you know yeah, and they do they care, care they a lot. clearly care and they care episode, so so last week's episode was about kind of the whole process of from the time that the person is found dead to, you know, through the time of, of them being prepared for burial. And this episode this week, I tried to edit it down to be mainly about, um, you know, the experience, their experience as, as the last responder, as the autopsy technician, as the coroner. And um, I'll, I'll let you listen to it in their own words, but they are definitely affected by babies dying, which is bizarrely comforting. I would want them to be affected by it because it's really fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also found it to be really healing, um, just to give them the space to say that it affects them. I think they found that healing. Just, I think that they have to be so professional all the time that maybe it felt really good for them to say out loud that it affects them. I don't know. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I did find it to be really meaningful. And um, I, if I recall the correct like, conversation, I do know that we talked about some dark things. And so if you're feeling vulnerable this week, this episode may not be for you. Come back and listen to it at, at a time when you're feeling less um, vulnerable. And that time might not be for a long time. And that's okay, too. Yeah, we're really, really, really okay with you skipping this one. If this is not a good one for you to listen to today, that is completely fine with us. We always, you know, we do have the generic content warning at the beginning of every episode that says only listen if this content feels safe for you right now. And if this content doesn't feel safe for you right now, you know, talking about dead bodies, talking about dead baby bodies, um, then, then maybe this isn't, isn't the right content for you right now, but we have plenty of other episodes, 127 other episodes to be exact. So <laughs> we have a lot of stuff for you, but anyway, this is definitely a very explicit dead baby episode. So take care of yourself and only listen if it feels safe for you right now. Okay, now, Alina, when you're editing it, try to cut out our, our parts more so my sister can make it through. 
<laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. Okay. And with that, we were going to send you into our part two episode with Athena and Caroline. As a reminder, part one was released two weeks ago. It's called Last Responders, and I will link it in the description of this episode. So catch up on that one first. Um, and now we are heading into part two, The Dead Teach the Living. We'll see you next week. Um, we do work very well with the hospitals, but sometimes it's challenging because in that moment, the parent is thinking, you know, you're going to take my baby from me and you're going to cut my baby up and they don't have any say on it. It's, it's a state law. So if we say, no, it needs to be a case, you know, we really try everything we can do to let the parent, you know, if it's suspected criminal, it's different. We Mm -hmm. can't let the parent do certain things, but if it's not, then we try everything we can to let them keep the baby for as long as they can, you know, arrange the autopsy for after they're being discharged, all of those things. But there are many times when the parents are pushing mm-hmm. back, they don't want it. The hospital is pushing against us and we have to be, um, I hate to say it, but you know, that asshole and say, I'm sorry, <laughs> but we have to do this. This is, yeah. you know, and 99% of the time that parent is down the road grateful that they have those yeah, absolutely if we're able to get those handprints. i only wish you um, took handprints and footprints why don't you guys take the handprints no one took my son's handprints. <laughs> so some cases we don't have like like afita was saying we're we're so understaffed and under yeah. we unfortunately no, we work on the county budget and they don't give us i hate to say this but like anything so they don't want to pay for the stamp they don't want to <laughs> So when it's a hospital case, it's really great because the hospital, we will yeah. let the hospital um, nurses come over and do those memory care things, um, even Best. prior to autopsy, beside autopsy, you know, after autopsy, whatever we need to do. And I know that really means a lot to the family. So we try to do that. You know, Indiana, we just did away with abortion. So there, there's some, there's been some legal changes there. And so it's kind of a, it's a sensitive topic, but I'm going to do it anyway. So we have to look at these cases and say, are these moms causing uh, the abortion, like the spontaneous abortion? Are they taking something? I've seen TikToks before, like wh- whenever you talk about something on TikTok, that's what shows up on your TikTok. And I've seen um, like the herbalist or self-proclaimed herbalist, you know, giving medical advice on take these supplements so, you know, that, that you can abort the baby. I get it. I get it. But also like we, we still have a responsibility to that child and to the medical community. And that's why we collect the data and the information from those autopsies. And we say, okay, we're seeing this weird concoction, like where's this coming from? And and the goal is to prevent death. I mean, that's what the coroner's office does is we take, we, you know, obviously we look, we protect the victims and, and stuff like that, but we also collect data so we can say, Hey, we're seeing a spike in fentanyl in this area. That information goes to the state. The state has grant funding. They push it back to the counties. And then we can do, you know, Caroline, what's the name of the board that you sit on that does? Uh... Uh, so I'm on the overdose fatality review team for the mm, county. Yes. I'm also on the child fatality review team and the fetal and infant mortality review team. So we have all these different yeah. county review teams. So basically we take all of the deaths that we've had. We sit down with medical professionals, law enforcement professionals, the detectives who work the cases, you know, everyone involved. Um, and we tried to figure out how moving forward we could prevent, like, was this case preventable? And mm-hmm. if so, what do we need to do and what changes do we need to make in the community to ensure that this isn't going to happen again? Like safe sleep, that's huge. Sometimes yeah. 
think that this mom was not educated on safe sleep, you know, that's huge. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things I'm that speechless we can- on 20 different levels right now. The speechlessness is just, I'm, I've got so many things running through my mind. So just well, we have you guys to will on. probably like to hear about this. So the, ch- in Indiana, and I don't know about your state, but it, it was, uh, I think 2013, they put this into law. You have to have a child, infant and child fatality review team. I sit on one in my county where I'm a deputy coroner, and then Car- Caroline sits on one in her county. And it's the, the prosecutor's office, someone from the coroner's office, EMS, law enforcement, first responders, Department of Child Services, a mental health advocate, a forensic, forensic health. pathologist. Um, on every infant and child, on every infant death, these people meet. Yep. yep. So, and then um, someone from the schools because of, of suicide rates in the schools and, and seatbelt issues. So every, I think, is it quarterly or biannually? How are people mm-hmm. dying these days? What is the, what are, the, what are you seeing? How for are these what? babies dying? So for us, I mean, honestly, it just depends. Sometimes um, unsafe sleep. We've had, unfortunately, a lot of choking incidents that I can recall. And in my mind, those, those things are preventable. I have a three and a half year old. So of course, me position I have and being in these child autopsies and working these cases on scenes and seeing these things, like I have like triple taped my remote <laughs> on the back. Like I, my husband says I'm paranoid, but I'm like, I'm just trying <laughs> to be proactive. Yeah. The button batteries, batteries or the normal batteries? Yeah. Both. So, so a button battery, like the flat She's going to go tape her remote after this. Yeah. So child, so, so the button batteries, if a child ingests those, even if I know. They, I uh, but, but I just want to go back. Problem with worrying. When you talk to Caroline, I you will be no, crazy, no, no, like, no. We don't have. I don't have a problem with worrying. <laughs> I mean, it's already there. How does it feel to be doing this on a baby? Like, how does it feel when you have this baby in your room? It's incredibly. Honor- it's honorable. Like I, I feel like people are like skeezed out by it, and they're like, "How could you ever?" And like for me, it's a mindset because that's my baby now. Like your uh-huh. baby is now my baby. Like I'm a mom and I feel like the least, the very least I can do is give your baby the continued care that you would want them to have. So I think it was Caroline's husband said it best is he explained it to a mom. I'm going to take your child to see to their final doctor's appointment. And I just thought that was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Like you, you, you know, your baby comes into the world uh-huh. with a doctor or a doula uh-huh. or a midwife. And they're, they're going to go out in the same manner and they're going to get that same level of care and respect. And I just like, for me, that just hit me hard. And I was like, man, it's so nice to be able to like tell the family, like you're not just shoving them off on a funeral home. Like you're going to go see a doctor and we're going to, we're going to do everything we can to speak for, for you, for your baby, for everybody involved in the situation. Because what you guys don't see is that like a lot of first responders and even the last responders have trouble also with your child's death. Like they also want to know what happened because they want to know, did I do enough? Um, was oh. there something I missed, you know, a- as a paramedic? And I have had this experience with multiple other paramedics, you know, they want to know what else could I have done? And, yeah. you know, to be able to talk to them and say, listen, buddy, there was nothing you could have done. This, this baby had, you know, some weird congenital heart disease and, and we found it and there was just like, that was it. Yeah. And, you know, that the relief, like it lets them forgive themselves. And I love that piece of it because I've seen so many people in public safety just completely suffer 
back to the SIDS thing, because I just want to ask one quick question about this. So what is the feeling in the room when you can't have that moment of resolution? Because yeah. the resolution is there was nothing wrong. Cause of death undetermined or unexplained in matter undetermined. It's It's, it's also unsatisfactory to us because, Mm. um, or unsatisfying to us rather, um, because not that we want there to be something wrong with your kid, but we want you to have answers. And when we know that we can't give you an answer, it's, it's like, not that it's going to make it better. Like if you knew something was wrong, I don't know. I just attended a, a cold case symposium that the guy said, you know, we, we, we always tell people we want to give them closure, but like at the end of the day, like now, you know, but like, did it make it any better? I, I don't yeah. know. Like, cause I've not been in your shoes. And so, you know, I, I'm now reevaluating my thought on, on quote unquote closure um, for parents. But I think that like, we want to give you something. We want to give you answers so that you can say, you know, if you're, if you're trying to have more children, yeah. like that you can avoid that. Or if you, you know, we find out that you're, you're doing unsafe sleep practices and you didn't know it and you want to be better in the future, you know, maybe, maybe there's another child in the house that could potentially be saved from, from learning from that experience. You know, we want to be able to give you that information so that other people in the home you know, can live or that you can have other children that you feel safe with. Also, when we do have answers, that hurts too, because when you have a child that's been brutally murdered at the hands of someone in the home, it, it equally... Yeah, it, I can it, imagine it, that it, doesn't um, feel good to deliver even no, when it's an answer. No. Do you ever hear from the parents, like, okay, so like I lost my sentences, like I said, I called the coroner and I had a long mm-hmm. conversation with Dr. Ortiz. So do you hear from the parents, like, what are some, I mean, the, what does that feel like to you to speak to parents? It's, I mean, it's, it's a process because from the time, you know, you're on scene with these parents and I like to work my cases from, you know, beginning all the way through. So if I have a a case where I work and I respond to that scene and I make that connection with those parents and I'm the one who's there trying to be supportive and everything, I like to give them the information of the preliminary results. I like to call them when the final results come back. I like to touch base and see if there's anything else I can help with. So um, why did I get such a shitty experience? I think a lot of, and a lot of people deal with things differently. As Afina was saying, I mean, I just so happened to, I see a therapist twice a week, <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> mental health oriented. I have a master's degree in forensic psychology. My degrees are in psychology um, and forensics. And so like, I'm just very, you know, mental health oriented. So it's like, I just kind of see things, I think from a different, like I have that, that extra training that helps Mm -hmm. me. Um, But to be supportive for the families, I think is the main thing for me. um, Because I can't say, I don't ever want to say, I understand how you feel because I don't understand how you feel because I did not have that specific thing happen to me. But I can still try and be supportive and say, if you need anything, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, I'm here to help you with that or help you figure it out. Um, so I think that's just kind of kind of how yeah. I do things um, to kind of be there like as a personal, you know, supportive person during, because I mean, it's the hardest thing they're ever going to go through in that moment. So do you find that they do reach out to you? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, some, it, I mean, it depends. Sometimes it'll be a lot, a, a lot farther down the road once they can kind of, I mean, gosh, I've had people call, you know, years later and say, 
not even for cases that I was working, but just call the office in general and say, I've not been able to deal with this yet, but I really think now I'd like to see, you know, the autopsy report or whatnot. And so, you know, to go over that with them and everything, um, not even just child or infant death cases. Um, I can think of cases where, you know, one specifically a wife felt responsible because she fell asleep driving and her husband ended up being paraplegic from that accident and then died. Well, and that was my case. And I signed that case out as a natural death as opposed to an accident because just of all the medical records and everything. And she said to me, like, you know, that was going to make her feel guilty for the rest of her life. <laughs> like yeah. if, if she was like literally cried and she was like, I'm just so happy. And I feel so relieved that it wasn't my fault. Yeah. Well, and you have to choose your words very carefully in this business. And like, again, now that I'm older and I look at things a lot differently, you know, the things that I've said to people over the years, I, I cringe, like looking back 20 years ago at me on an ambulance, you know, 18 years old, like the things that I would have said to people then versus me now, you know, like I talked to people like a robot back then, but now I'm like, listen, like you may be scared but I'm not. So I've got you. And like, those words are so powerful to people who are absolutely terrified, you know, and I may be shitting a brick on the inside and, and sometimes that happens. I'm like, don't let them know it. Yeah. Just, and sometimes you just say, I'm scared too, but you know what, this is, we're, we're going to lean on our training and we're going to get through this, you know, and, and even in situations where, where people have died, I tell them, you know, like you're going through it and I want you to feel what you feel because for so long as a society, we've been told, you know, don't feel things, you know, don't, you know, man up or, or whatever the case may be. And I tell people now, like, if you're sad, be sad. And if you're happy, be happy. Yeah. You're going to ride that roller coaster of grief. And, and if you're mad, like I can take it, just be absolutely <laughs> awful to me. I, I trust me. I, I've heard some really terrible things and I've heard equally nice things. Yeah you know, and I don't hold it against you. And like, I struggle to cry. That's just, it's a trauma response that I really yeah. don't want to undo because I feel very stable in moments when mm -hmm. I should not be. And I don't want to undo that. And I can that, imagine that makes you really good at your job. I read a lot about uh, <laughs> primitive survival skills, like what your brain does in a traumatic situation. Yeah. And that's why when they say tunnel vision, like that is it literally yeah. a, a survival skill. And we talk about it a lot in in my fire and EMS profession, because it can help you, but it can kill you. Mm. Um, so when you experience a trauma, your brain just focuses on what's going to keep you alive. And sometimes that can, that can be very dangerous to you. So in that moment, when you've experienced such a, a grief stricken, you know, um, experience, your brain says, this is what I need to, to think about right now to get through this. And so all the fine details, your brain doesn't need those to survive. So those things go out the window yeah. and you just focus on, remember to breathe, remember mm -hmm. to breathe, yes. you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I, I, t I tell people, you know, when, when you're depressed or you're sad or you're going through something like all you need to do is worry about one minute to the next. Then you worry about one hour to the next and yes, then one day to the next. And, and you, people get so hard on themselves. And when you have a teenager, that's just like, everything's wrong. Like, okay, <laughs> bring this into a, a functioning cognitive conversation here and tell me what is bothering you. And then we'll deal with that. And then we'll deal with, you know, problem yeah. number two, it's literally, I call it life triage. I don't know if that's a thing yeah. or if it's trademark, <laughs> I'm probably to be paying someone for that, that term. 
um, but you focus on the moment. To 8.55. That is your entire job, just 8.55. If you did that, that's amazing. And I feel like that's something that only people who live this, breathe this, and, like, practice this, you, like, live this trauma life. You don't live traumatized, but where you're confronted with trauma all the time. And I think our society just doesn't have very much experience with it. We don't talk about it enough. We don't know enough. We're like, no one teaches you um, what to do when bad things happen. And the reality is bad things are going to happen to some people. And to to kind of piggyback off what you said. So we do see trauma, but also uh, a caveat to that is Caroline's married to someone in the military. And Mm -hmm. I was... I am married to to someone who was a police officer 20 years before he retired. So like we have been on the receiving end of trauma our, mm. our fair amount of time. And uh, I can definitely tell you the experience of, of being on the receiving end is definitely different than on responding to it. Um, mm-hmm. So like the, the situations are different for everyone, but no one is immune. Like I always tell people, you know, death is kind of taboo to talk about. But guess what? 100, whenever you hear a statistic that's zero or 100, it's usually bullshit. But I can tell you with certainty that 100% of the people die. Yep. Yes. 100%. Um, yes. Not 100% of people live. That's fact. People go through life every day and they do not live their best yeah. life. Very do you complicated. wonder about the families, especially the ones who have lost babies by either accident or SIDS, do you wonder about them years on? Like, whatever happened to them? Do you see them later? Like, are you curious about the ending to that story? You're walking in at such a pivotal moment. You I know, do, my... because I remember them, but they don't remember yeah. me. I'm never going to come to you and be like, oh my god, Judith, do you remember me? Like, I was your court. Like, I think it would not, <laughs> not be appropriate, professional, or even remotely, yeah. like, entertaining to anyone. But, like, I, I wonder, in the moment, I don't think about it. But, like, I'll think about it later on, like, mainly because I, after speaking to you guys, I always, I wonder, how do you heal from that? How, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever do. Like, that's a scar on your life forever. So you don't fully heal. You just, you have a new normal after that day. And so I always wonder what your new normal looks like. That's- Gotta listen to our podcast to find out, because that's yeah. what we talk about every single <laughs> ding, dang day. <laughs> It's been healing for me to have this conversation to see how me much too. you care. That's so and good to hear. I really appreciate just, I can see on your faces how kind-hearted you are and to know that my baby was treated with that much love from the minute he was born until the minute he was in the ground. It brings me a lot of comfort. To all of our wonderful new friends, we want to hear from you. Email us at as long as I'm living podcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at as long as I'm living podcast. We'll get back to you as soon as our grieving brains allow. Yay.